I'm a man without a hairdresser currently, without a barber. Let's use the true term here. My grandfather was a barber. He used to cut men's hair many, many, many years. 50 plus years he was a barber. My great uncle, who is still alive, I'm visiting in New Zealand. He was a barber as well, like my grandfather was. He followed my grandfather's profession. My great uncle cut David Letterman's hair. That is his claim to fame. He was a barber good enough to cut David Letterman's hair. But I'm without a barber currently. You need to have a local barber in order to frequent a barber shop, right? The local barber here is a front for some kind of organization, and the only way you can get into it is to have an Instagram account and to make an appointment through the Instagram account, which is all too eclectically eccentric even for me. So I'm now looking around at various options associated with having my hair cut, and today I had my hair cut at my wife's hairdresser's. This, in part, was to provide some Christmas toffee to the hairdresser. It was also to appease my wife. It was also to get a haircut. These things are all incredibly important. When I got seated in the barber's chair, and believe me, this was an eight-minute haircut. This was a very fast haircut. Anyway, when I was seated in the barber's chair, the gentleman who had been seated in the seat that I was in was concluding a conversation he was having about net neutrality. And he said that basically the Obama administration had created all these amazingly positive good things about the internet, which the Trump administration was eroding. I paused, took breath. I thought to myself, this is not a good circumstance to start a confrontation with a variety of people that really clearly know what they're talking about. So I just decided that I'd have my hair cut and I'd remain quiet. I have very strong views about what is supposedly called net neutrality. And I find it particularly striking because sometime, I think it was in 2007, Google stopped people finding Noble Ape, my primary project, my website. Google, for whatever reason, decided to remove Noble Ape from their search engine. And this was an amazing experience to have. A number of things associated with the internet are really about corporations communicating with other corporations. And I think what I find fascinating about the discussion associated with net neutrality is that it's really about one corporation charging another corporation. That's the interaction with net neutrality. The fact that the corporation will pass on the charge to the customers is secondary. What you can't have a conversation about is what the free internet should look like. And I found when Google removed Noblate from their search that the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is occasionally periodically lauded as a, I don't know, free internet organization, was actually completely funded by Google. And, well, not completely funded. I mean, they got donations from other places, but Google funded them sufficient that the EFF was putting on Google-sponsored talks, variety of other things. It was clear that Google put a lot of money into the EFF, so the EFF would just parrot Google's line. If you're interested in seeing more about this, I have a web page dedicated to Google blocking the Noble Ape website, which goes through some really quite curious communications with the Electronic Frontiers Foundation associated with what a free internet should look like. So, as a content provider, as someone who creates content and puts it out there, yes, it's a podcast, yes, it's a simulation that simulates apes in an environment, soon to be apes in a cityscape, you might belittle what I do. Well, many do. But 
the ability to produce information and to put it out for public consumption is something that I think is really critical associated with the internet. Then we get on to what net neutrality is defined as in popular consciousness, or at least what one corporation has talked about associated with net neutrality. And what you find through this is that people that talk very positively about net neutrality and that the world has changed inextricably because the FCC has eliminated net neutrality, we just need to take a step back. Net neutrality is not a consumer bill of rights. It's not something that says internet service providers need to provide quality service. I spend now, I think, I think $420, $430 a month on internet. And when I work from home, which I do once a week, I typically have to reboot. This means physically removing the cable, putting the cable back in and rebooting the internet twice, sometimes three times a day in order to have a consistent internet connection. Now, the technical problems associated with this in large part came from my internet service provider putting blocks and various other things which disturb the internet intentionally. The last $50 of the amount that I pay per month is actually the internet service provider acknowledging that they put blocks in place. They call it data caps, but it's just, I mean, it's not a cap. It goes on throughout the month. It's not something that occurs at some period of time in the month. So the customer's experience of the internet, and this is prior to net neutrality disappearing at the FCC, the experience of customers in the US, and pretty well universally with regards to the internet, is pretty appalling. Now, I actually am starting to see internet providing as an antitrust issue. There just can't be one central means of getting the internet. You need to have a plurality of means at a variety of different levels to get the internet in order to facilitate the kind of freedoms that I would want to see. Now, I would love to see community internet providers. Historically, when this thing started out, the bulletin board systems were probably as close to that as you could get. I mean, what you started to see through internet service providers initially were literally 90 internet service providers, all fighting and competing and merging and what have you. And then when the cable providers got involved, that's when things started to get a little strange in the US. But there are a number of countries that actually get the internet really right. And I think these are countries that should be studied as opposed to the current model which exists in the US and in Australia in different ways and a variety of other countries where the internet is really, really crummy. And what I think is interesting is if you start to look at this truly as a consumer, as opposed to let's just recite something that corporations tell us to recite associated with net neutrality and what that whole thing means, because unless you start providing content to people, unless you actually experience that on some level, and you experience all the ways that that can get perturbed, with search engines, with all kinds of strange traffic shaping, and then what I call the last 10 feet, the actual service provider part of this. Really what we need here is a consumer bill of rights, right? It's not net neutrality as it's branded, because net neutrality is just about one corporation and another corporation's interaction and charges that are made based on that. It doesn't mean that the information that's being provided has not been shaped or removed or altered in some way, because actually all those things exist currently. That's just the nature of the current internet. 
It's got nothing to do with net neutrality as it's described. In fact, when you see large search engines and large internet traffic organizations that are intentionally shaping traffic for a variety of countries, you know, what is cultural norms and all this kind of other stuff, which is just basically means of control that is thrust on populations for a variety of reasons. You start to wonder, what's this hysteria about? Like, why aren't people getting hysterical associated with how poor the internet service is in general? Or, you know, why one can't actually find information that well anymore? I mean, the whole nature of the internet is so heavily perturbed by so many different factors that the hysteria that people consume and repeat as if they are knowledgeable people associated with this one thing strikes me as really very curious. And actually, if you take a step back, it relates to a rather strange narrative that empowers people to have opinions on things that they don't understand. When you say one thing is good, one thing is bad, you get this kind of artificial notion that there are just two choices here, and they're two choices about what's agreed upon, and you're allowed to have two choices. This mode of thinking I really find very disturbing, and certainly a lot of the stuff that I see coming out associated with this supposed brand net neutrality stuff just makes me wonder, like, do people ever take a step back and think, there's actually a multiplicity of possible solutions here? There are not just two solutions, and what was there in place prior to what is coming is bad. It's not that it'll go from bad to worse, it's from it's unbelievably bad, it'll be unbelievably bad following. And there's no real narrative associated with let's change the things that make this stuff unbelievably bad. The internet as it exists, from my perspective at least, is an amazing example of a vastly complex system that is clearly beyond the intelligence of a multitude of humans. It's not just the case anymore that, you know, you look at computers and the computer power and this kind of stuff and you say, well, that is equivalent to, you know, some fraction of a human brain or this kind of stuff. We are dealing with super intelligent systems now that are created by humans with relatively basic rules, but are able to maintain themselves in very, very robust ways. Now, there are points of failure, as there are with humans, <laughs> and there are a variety of factors that fit into this, but the maintenance and the continuation of the internet is beyond the reach of any single corporation. What I find is fascinating is that it's perturbed by various corporations, and it's shaped by various corporations, but even if those corporations were given more power or, t or taken out, the internet would persist, and it would persist through a variety of different means. I think about all the things that I have that are not necessarily illegal, but just aren't easily accessible, that require an additional few steps. Accessing particular kinds of music, for example. I'm not talking about downloading pirated MP3s. I'm talking about the fact that I physically have record crates in front of me with music that I was able to obtain in Australia, even though no one in my immediate circle, in the city I lived in, in the state I lived in, had an interest in this music. I was still able to find, in some cases through mail order, ways of getting this music to me. And the ability for humans to find ways above and beyond whatever obstacles are put in their place is amazing. And I think the internet is like that as well. The problem is that the vast majority are still going to get their information through 
very particular and very narrow means. And certainly as I produce independent content, I often reflect, wouldn't it be wonderful if, you know, someone wrote an article associated with one of my podcasts? Or wouldn't it be wonderful if the word of mouth associated with one of my podcasts moved to a certain level? Then you get onto all this kind of advertising, or do I need to hire a publicist, or all this other kind of stuff. But I can still put audio out there, and people will still find it. And the ability to put audio out on a periodic basis and have people find it is an amazing thing. That is the phenomena that was blocked by Google in 2007 for me, for no reason that I could actively establish. But that level of power, that level of, as a content provider, that interaction made me realize that this thing associated with net neutrality is really paper thin. And whenever people ask me about net neutrality, which happens surprisingly less frequently now than it did maybe two or three years ago, I always talk to them associated with my experience when Google blocked Noblape. Because my perspective is, as a content provider, that is the worst experience I've had. I mean, I've had other bad experiences. I mean, recently I've had a comedian that just decided to use Noblape as their own, I don't know, (laughs) short-term vehicle for various profit and other things. Thankfully, hopefully, maybe, they're not actually going to be producing anything else with the name Noblape. But their entertainment lawyers were pretty curious. I might actually record a long funk associated with that at some stage. Probably associated with Noblape at some stage. Having had a means of getting information out, removed. And this was a blanket removal of everything. I mean, for a long period of time, there were a variety of different curious searches that got people on Noblape on the website. And what I found interesting was the number of the long-term collaborations that I had, or at least long-term friends, came through people that had just discovered stumbled upon Noble Ape. And in producing audio, a lot of the people that come to listen to these podcasts stumble upon it through one way or another. So when you have that option eliminated, I'm not interested. I mean, I am a passive consumer of content as well. And I enjoy being a passive consumer of content. Don't get me wrong. Also pays the bills. But what I find fascinating through the experience with Google and through the experience of the blocking of the Noble Ape website was I started to see a vignette into the possible future. In fact, the future. There's no legislation that would have stopped what happened with the blocking of the Noblet website. There's nothing in place. There's no discussion associated with net neutrality that impacts that thing. And there's no discussion associated with net neutrality that impacts the horrible experience that I have actually getting access to the internet. There's no notion of the customer in this process. I mean, there is a notion that the corporation will put the charge onto the customer, But there's no notion that the customer is paying for a service that they're not actually receiving. I mean, that whole thing has been surprisingly well removed from the net neutrality discussion. That actually, when you access the internet, you're dealing with so many different corporations that all have their own particular proclivities, that your ability to get access to independent information is really a point of concern, a question. Let's talk a little bit associated with the phenomena of people being told a very simple thing or what they appear to think is a very simple thing that can then fit into their general worldview associated with Obama good, Trump bad, for example. Uh, To be clear, my perspective associated with the Obama legacy is very, very curious. I think with regards to Syria, with regards to drones, with regards to both the financial people that Obama maintained and also the military people that Obama maintained 
Obama really was just a continuation of Bush, and that in and of itself is a very curious narrative to start exploring, because you'll find people that will just laud Obama's legacy. That I find very strange. I mean, clearly, maybe they're also lauding Bush's legacy in some curious and strange way. But the whole notion of palatability of presidents, let's just put that aside. Let's talk a little bit more about the notion that the way an idea is described to people is framed in the simplest and most trivial possible way so they can start to think that one thing is good and another thing is bad. Because I think this basically explains political problems, this explains a variety of different factors, and it really is fascinating and worthy of further discussion. When a complicated issue is described in very simple terms to people, and it's used in such a way to fuel a debate of hysteria, you have to start to wonder why people are so receptive to this. I think the kind of critical mind, critical analysis makes you wonder there's probably something suspicious going on here. One needs to look at this with a suspicious eye. One needs to take this thing and start thinking, why is this being a topic which is so easy to understand that folks in a barbershop or a hairdresser, as it was, can have a distinct opinion about this and talk about this with a certain degree of pronounced authority. That struck me as very interesting and, in fact, part of the problem, that these technology issues have been framed so much, and these are framed by corporations. The lobbying effort associated with the term net neutrality was fascinating to track. Once you had identified the actors here, Google and the Electronic Frontier Foundation primarily, which were the two actors that I found in the Google blocking case with Noble Ape, I started to realise that you can disassemble what these corporations are saying. And if you look at the funding, if you look at the amount of money that Google put into the Obama administration, you start to wonder that this is a very curious way that this thing is being framed. What you also start to realise is that there's no critical analysis. I mean, Vice News, which has always been a very strange amalgamation of ideas and special interests, but Vice News tried to talk to the current FCC head and really wasn't able to have a serious discussion about what this thing actually meant. I mean, it's funny because it's like you can't talk about the thing. You can't talk about the term. The term's explained in very simple ways. It's agreed upon by a group of people. But no one actually digs into the term. Like, so net neutrality means a very specific interaction between two corporations. It doesn't actually mean that I will have better service of internet. It doesn't mean that uh, the service provider is responsible for the quality of the internet or any of the corporations behind the service provider. It is just basically spending more money for probably just the same or worse service, right? The whole notion of concepts like antitrust here, are these corporations just to be trusted? Should we just trust these corporations to continue to run things and specify the nature of the debate? If all the politicians are paid off by all these corporations, the whole notion that there are two possible solutions here and only two possible solutions. So they're the only two solutions you can discuss. You can't have a discussion associated with a variety of other possibilities here. These are the curious things, you know. Very simple idea, explained very poorly, so people immediately understand it and agree that this was a good thing. Really bad descriptions of what happens currently and what happens in the future. So the whole discussion is divided by two things which don't in any way map onto any of 
my experiences as an internet user and content creator and all these other kinds of things. So I find increasingly that this is part of a narrative which can be dissected very easily. You just realize, why am I being sold two really bad builds of goods here? Why are the two ideas that are being presented not ideas that map onto my current experience or really map onto things that would improve my current experience? And if these are the only two ideas, maybe we need to take a step back. You'll hear this through future discussions as well. Maybe we need to take a step back and not fall into the trap of just saying net neutrality good, net neutrality being taken away bad. How about everything bad? Why can't we start saying this whole thing is bad? This whole thing is prefaced on corporations that have no interest in freedom of expression or, you know, quality of internet service or any of these kind of things. They're just about extracting profit, controlling interests and maintaining the status quo politically. All things that I think are very suspect. So in this conversation, if we can start saying maybe there's a fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or even a third possibility that's not being discussed here, why don't we have a discussion associated with that? Why don't we take a step back from the hysteria that we're being presented by corporations because they amazingly create hysteria like there's no tomorrow? Why don't we take a step back and actually say what should be here is something that's distinctly better than either of the possible options that are being offered? So why don't we have a conversation about that? Maybe that's an idea that I would like to ferment in people through these particular podcast recordings. Tom Barbelay sitting next to a soon-to-be-thinned record collection in San Jose, but with a slightly acceptable eight-minute haircut. Signing out. <laughs>